Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is part of the crew running Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee, where you can see all kinds of great movies, including the one that we're talking about today has screened there. Please welcome Austin. How's it going, pal? Thanks for having me, George. I'm doing pretty well. I'm very excited to talk about Terror Train. Hell yeah. Look, this is one that you've been hitting for a while that you're saying is the best, so... I was very excited to finally get a chance to tackle it for the show. I like uh, to spread the gospel for Terror <laughs> So, like I said, you're part of the crew over there at Central Cinema, working behind the scenes at a theater, especially one that tends to do some repertory stuff in addition to new releases, helping to decide what gets to run. You know, that's kind of the dream for a lot of people, a lot of movie fans who are like, oh, man, like if I ran the, the cinema, here's what I would want to play. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about what that's like, just being part of the behind the scenes of a movie theater and how that all got started and everything. If your dream is to open a theater, my recommendation is to meet people who have already done that and become <laughs> good friends with them so that they do all the hard work and then you can reap the benefits of working Smart. there. <laughs> so th- this year, a few of us that frequented the theater and were friends with the owners. They very nicely asked us to join them in some capacity and help out. So since we reopened in April, April 1st, we opened with April Fool's Day, another fun slasher movie. I've been helping out just running shifts a few times a week. And you can find me selling popcorn and Narragansett, the drink of choice of Quint from our that's our house beer at Central Cinema. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, it's a fun time and uh, get to have, I, I, I don't have as much input on the programming, but this month, uh, August, we, we've been doing employee picks, which has been a lot of fun and everybody got to pick a couple movies and my picks were Point Blank, uh, the Lee Marvin, John Borman crime classic. That's one of my absolute favorites. And then also, I'm really excited coming up for uh, Death Wish 3 and 10 to Midnight double feature. Oh, baby. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun, and I hope people come out for that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's got to be rewarding when, you know, even for these just employee pick ones where, you know, you're like, well, I think that Death Wish 3 should play. And then introducing that to people on the new screen, even people who are seeing it for the first time, you know there's got to be a, like a, a satisfaction to that being like, yeah, like I am spreading the gospel of terror train <laughs> or death wish three or whatever it is. Oh, absolutely. Death wish. I feel like especially is one I, death wish three of all movies. I mean, if you're, if you're not in the know, you may not, you may just brush it off, but it's truly one of the insane movies of cinema history. <laughs> and it, I, I hope people come see that and hopefully some new people as well experience it for the first time. Now, Central Cinema is also a big part of the Knoxville Horror Film Festival. And I'm curious what it's like being so close to such a huge horror, like just community and everything. Because even though Knoxville is not the most enormous city in the world, it's the Knoxville Film Festival is something that has really captured people's imaginations on the internet. You know, I think that it has a pretty good reputation, especially for being a smaller film festival. So what's it like being just in Knoxville around that time and, and getting to sort of celebrate horror in in such a a fun way. My first time going to the film festival, I I think it was probably five years ago this year. And I mean, I had a blast. It was a lot of fun. And even since then, it's grown quite a bit. Now we get a lot of directors and producers that come in to have their movies screened. And it's really cool because like you said, it's still a small festival. So you can, it's nothing to go up and talk to these people and kind of pick their brains about their movies. And it's cool. And especially with the opening of Central Cinema, it has made it really its own thing, has given it a kind of a headquarters almost. Really cool. So to zoom out a little bit, why don't you tell us a little bit about where your love of horror started in general? I came to movies a little late, probably late high school. I started watching movies and even then I didn't really latch on to horror immediately. But like a lot of horror fans, John Carpenter, I heard his call (laughs) and just uh, kind of went from there. Um, Specifically, The Thing, it's not a unique choice, but I mean. For a reason, though. I mean, it's one of the all-timers. It's one of the best. Yeah. We're not talking about it today, but (laughs) it is one of the best. Yes. 
you know, it's interesting because you've mentioned a bunch of slashers, but John Carpenter beyond Halloween tended to make more high concept stuff that wasn't necessarily just as simple as guy starts chopping people up. So I'm curious to hear what your favorite subgenre is. That's a tough one. Slashers are, I, I do like to see new sl- slashers because typically in the kind of general pop culture, they've all been discovered. Everybody has seen the Friday, the 13th Halloween's right. Uh, the Freddy's, but I think my favorite horrors to watch are the, the trashy, like <laughs> bottom of the barrel stuff that vinegar syndrome and other companies like that put out on a monthly basis. And it's just so fun to discover stuff like that. Yeah. Especially because I mean, this is something that you and I have talked a lot about. I know we both are frequent enjoyers of vinegar syndromes wares. And I, I think that there really is a certain sincerity that you can always find in a movie that's put out like that as compared to investigating the new, the new releases or whatever, because there's even the low budget stuff. People who make low budget films are doing it because they care, not because they're doing it to make bank off of it. And I think those movies do, there's just a joy to watching them, you know, and being like, you know what? They didn't execute it perfectly, but they're, they're doing their damnedest. Conversely, it is also fun when a small, no budget movie is trying to make money and <laughs> either fails or succeeds either. I mean, it's a win-win either way. Absolutely. Sometimes. Absolutely. It is. And it's interesting. We are talking about a movie that for the time had a pretty huge budget, especially uh, for what it was doing. We're talking about a Canadian classic 1980s slasher terror train. This Man, is yeah. This is Roger Spottiswood's directorial debut, although he has gone on to assemble an impressive resume, including Turner and Hooch, Stopper, My Mom Will Shoot, and the Bond movie Tomorrow Never Dies, along with The Sixth Day. So he's got some names there. Oh, yeah. I mean, pretty wild filmography there. <laughs> and it not, I mean, I'm not a, the biggest Bond fan, and that is definitely not at the top of my list, but it, <laughs> that at least gives me the foot in the door to go back and try to make it work for myself in the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I, you know, I think that uh, even if it's not the best bond movie still, how many people can say that they directed a bond film? Oh yeah. So That's there awesome. you go. <laughs> Notably, this is also 20th century Fox's first slasher, depending on how you view the movie alien, which some people do consider a slasher in space, but That said, they just distributed this, and it was produced by Daniel Grodnick independently. Grodnick was a pal of both John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, so he discussed his plans to make Halloween on a train with them, and they gave him their blessing, which I just love to imagine that conversation. (laughs) To its credit, and I'm sure we'll get into, I, I feel like it kind of exceeded that rough idea. Yeah, I, I absolutely think that. You know, there is some of that Halloweenness going on. You know, I especially noticed Jamie Lee Curtis at one point. There is a moment where it feels like the closet scene where like he comes in and, and she's like hiding and, and is like stabbing out with stuff. And it doesn't feel like a ripoff, though. It feels like they are like someone saw Halloween and was like, oh, I could do something with this. And they use it as a launching pad to really make their own thing. You know, it's very easy And kind of, you know, this is just how people describe things, but say Halloween meets train. I don't think really does an adequate job of describing exactly how bonkers this movie gets. Yeah, the original idea. I mean, I guess originally it really was Halloween on a train because the killer came from a mental asylum, like in a gown and hopped on the train. And somehow somebody had the great idea to like not do that because I feel like it really would have taken away if it had literally just been Michael Myers on a train. I mean, I probably still would have enjoyed it. Yeah, that's true. It probably would have still been fun, but it, it wouldn't have been nearly as unique and, uh, and interesting as it has become. That said, this desire to make Halloween on a train did lead them to seeking out Jamie Lee Curtis uh, because she was already in Toronto filming prom night. She said, sure, and signed on to this as well, making the trek over to Montreal instead. I have not seen Prom Night. Me neither. 
I hear it's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what I've heard, but I'll watch it eventually. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm sure I'll get to it, but Prom Night 2, that's a good movie. Bonkers yeah. as hell. One of the other producers, because Daniel Grodnick, not Canadian, so he couldn't be the lead producer because they were filming <laughs> in Canada. So in order to get the tax shelter benefits, the producer had to be a Canadian as well. And so they got Sandy Howard to sign on. And Sandy Howard was like, by the way, I love magic. (laughs) Let's get some magic in here. And lo and behold, they wrote a magic into the script. And it just so happens to be one of the most famous illusionists of our time. (laughs) David Copperfield plays the magician in this movie, which is just outrageous to me. I love him in this movie. And I'm admittedly not even a fan of magic. I couldn't be bothered to watch a filmed performance of magic, but if you take that and put it inside a movie, <laughs> I, I've talked about this a little before, but it's like, that's one of my favorite, like sub, you can't even say genre, like, <laughs> like sub tropes, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just endlessly fascinating to me. Yeah. Especially because in this movie in particular, Because they don't have green screen or anything. They're working on this tiny little train. They actually are shooting within a train. You know, the fact that they set up these illusions and really like have them on screen. We see a lot of magic in this movie. It happens a lot. And there he is. Copperfield is interacting with the cast and crew. This is absolutely the kind of thing where it feels like they could have shot Copperfield scenes and he was just like off doing his thing and they like stuck those scenes in, but instead they really got him involved and the main characters interact with him and, and he like make it makes a rose for uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and everything. It's they really went for it, which I'm very happy about that. They didn't just half-ass getting this magician in there. And I mean, he did a great job and he looks like he's having a lot of fun and one of those producers said that he still talks about it. So I, mean, I think he likes the movie. It's really cool. Yeah. I heard that he does still display a poster for the movie in his house. Although he said that he was not going to do another movie because at one point it took him 67 takes to get one of the lines, which <laughs> that's, that's probably not ideal. It was very funny when I was reading about that because I found this big interview with Derek McKinnon who plays Kenny and he brings a lot to the movie and he had all these fun little stories about uh, all the production and everything. But just suffice it to say that with David Copperfield, he was apparently extremely fastidious and exacting to work with, but did genuinely engage and had a nice time. So good for you, David Copperfield. <laughs> now to get back to Derek McKinnon, he was working at a drag bar in Montreal And he went with one of his friends who was auditioning for the movie and they pointed at the friend and they said, you're no good. (laughs) And they pointed at Derek and they said, do you want to audition? And he was like, okay. And after going to see his act and for callbacks, he finally got the role and they were like, congrats, Derek, you got it. And he was like, okay. And they were like, do you understand what's happening? (laughs) He was like, yeah, I got like a bit part in the movie. And they were like, no, you just signed up to be the lead in a 20th Century Fox movie across from Jamie Lee Curtis. So kind of an accident for Derek, but it really worked out because, first of all, like I said, he's really bringing a lot to it, especially that naturalism because he isn't a trained actor. But also he and David Copperfield do kind of look alike. And so it brings this whole like red herring subplot that I like to the movie. Oh, yeah. I love that it adds a layer of confusion to it where this is another thing I like in slashers where there's a prologue that sets up another story that may or may not be fully related. You don't know the extent that it's related. In this case, you pretty much know exactly who the killer is, but the confusion of is Kenny the magician or the assistant? or something else entirely. It's just very weird and confusing that I think adds a lot to the story. Yeah, it's interesting because there's never any question about who the killer is, but there is a question about who the killer is because (laughs) they're like, okay, it's Kenny, great, but which one of them is Kenny? So I agree. I think that that's pretty great. They also kept Derek isolated from the rest of the cast. 
to help create that character as well. And in order to sort of placate him to have to do this, they're like, all right, well, you can develop a lot of your own backstory as well. And so he was actually the one who decided that he'd been in a psychiatric hospital before because, and this is not in the movie, but he said that this was the backstory that he'd accidentally backed over his mom while she was taking the garbage out and they were in like a rural area. So there you go. That's how that was his famous murder from back as a young man. Also of note is the fact that it was indeed Derek himself in each of the masks playing 11 roles in total for this movie and spending time with each of the people that he'd be imitating to capture their physicality and whatnot. This was something that really drew the producers to him because in his stage show, he would just like talk to people in the audience. He'd do some crowd work and then slowly start to like take on their mannerisms and and imitate them (laughs) back to them. And so they said, this is it. This is something we want to be happening in the movie. And I think that using that sort of physicality to pretend to be the other friends and everything on the train does help to bring a level of believability to why they're like, well, first of all, they're also drunk, but also why they're like, yeah, okay, this is him. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And to him being isolated, I mean, that that's perfect for the story where he's like, starts out as the outsider and kind of propels from there. Yeah, I totally agree. Hart Bachner plays Doc. You probably know him as the asshole in a skyscraper in Die Hard. Now you know him as the asshole in a train from this movie. I love him, by the way. He's he's awesome. He's so good. And it's really funny that, you know, sometimes movies will go for like the characters you like to hate so that when their death happens, we can all cheer. But man, Doc is really, really going for it. You're like, this guy (laughs) is such an asshole the entire way through, but in such a gleeful way that you can't help but like, all right, okay, Doc, I get it. (laughs) That's exactly what I was going to say. He's unredeemable. If he was my friend, I would not want to be around him. (laughs) He would scare me, but I like watching him. He's kind of fun to watch on screen. Absolutely. Also, he's great in Breaking Away. Not a horror movie, but a very good movie Still a good about one. cycling. Hell yeah. Indiana. John Alcott did the lighting for this movie. Also the cinematography. He was famous for several Kubrick movies. And he big as deal. well. Yeah, that is a, he is a big deal. He did 2001. <laughs> he did. What's the Clockwork Orange? Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon. That's the one I was thinking of. Then that lighting is really fantastic because it is so naturalistic in that movie as well. They used a lot of natural light for that one. Hold on. You're skipping over Vice Squad. <laughs> I was skipping over Vice Squad, <laughs> uh, which he did work on. <laughs> <laughs> but he had experience working in weird quarters, like I said, with Barry Lyndon. And so despite the fact that he and the rest of the crew had a very difficult time with production because of the close quarters on the train, he used a small lens from Barry Lyndon in order to sort of save some space. And he also used a lot of charcoal smoke as a natural light filter to soften and smooth the colors, which you can very much see in the movie. And uh, unfortunately, that meant everyone was choking on it constantly. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of does look like you're living in the smoking section of a train the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I love it. It looks really cool. It's that adds a little coziness to it, you know. He also, in order, this is his dedication, was he had people outside the train cars literally pushing it back and forth to create the rocking of the of the train so that it wasn't just uh, steady inside, which you know, that's that's fastidious right there. Yeah, I was watching the special features of I, th- I think it was the production designer, I can't remember his name, but he said that George P. Cosmatos, another famous genre director, he had directed a movie called The Cassandra Crossing, which is another train movie I'd never heard about. And apparently they couldn't get the train rocking right. So <laughs> of course I went on Amazon and ordered it immediately when I heard that. So I'm <laughs> Looking forward to seeing what that looks like. Hell yeah. Hey, look, they can't all be John Alcott's. <laughs> Functionally, a pretty big budget. Like I said, this was $3.5 million 1980s dollars. And since they were filming in Canada, it worked out to be more like $7 million. And then additionally, Fox put a lot of money behind it for the advertising campaign. Supposedly as much as an additional $5 million, more than the actual budget behind the marketing. 
That seems insane for a movie like this. It seems, right. it seems like at this time, you almost wouldn't need the marketing. Right. It has such a unique draw to it. I guess that they were like, well, we got to do something since we didn't actually produce it. Like We need <laughs> to justify our involvement in some way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it did make $8 million back at the box office. So it just about broke even on the entirety of the cost. And folks, Raj is back to his villainous ways claiming that this movie simply doesn't care and that it's a series of sensations strung together on a plot. Any plot will do. Just don't forget the knife and the girl and the blood. (sighs) (laughs) This guy. For shame. For shame, Raj. I don't agree, frankly. I think that this has more going on than uh, what he what he's, he seems to be insinuating. And uh, the plot is much more interesting because they're trapped on this train than like a thousand camp set slashers. So <laughs> fuck off, Raj. <laughs> yeah, Raj, why don't you go watch like Blood Lake or something where they go water skiing? Actually, he probably yeah. I wish he did get a get a review of that because I <laughs> Like, I'm trying to get Roger Ebert, his ghost, to review Winter Beast. <laughs> <laughs> I'd pay for that. But yeah, it's 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 really great. And, uh, you know, the production went pretty smoothly. The uh, Like I said, uh, Derek was involved. Like, there wasn't a ton of stunt work, but there were a few accidents on set, which that sucks. And so the, <laughs> luckily, uh, the actors didn't get hurt. Stunt people who understood what they were signing up for got hurt but it sucks that they got hurt at all so uh, be careful on set production people so to get into the actual movie we cold open pun very much intended on it a looks new- so cold <laughs> it looks fucking freezing <laughs> they are tech there's supposed to be at a northern illinois chapter of sigma phi omega but it is, in fact, actually shot at McGill University in, in Montreal. So it is very, very chilly looking. And they're outside. Weird idea for a New Year's party. But <laughs> And we join a, pr- a prank in progress. And all of the pledges are expected to have sex in order to remove the beanie that they're wearing. Uh, one young man laments this with a laid, sir, me. <laughs> <laughs> That guy really cracked me up. <laughs> I got to say, though, the beanie's pretty cool. I, I'd wear but that beanie. There are worse things that they could be stuck with wearing. <laughs> <laughs> they just needed like 40 years separation from it to appreciate the beanie. <laughs> exactly. Jamie Lee Curtis is Elena. Looks like Alana. I had to like check this name like five times to be like, are they saying Helena? No, it's Elena. But... She's the talk of the party, and uh, she's luring one such pledge, the victim of the prank, Kenny Hampson, upstairs so that he can lose the beanie. (laughs) She is reluctant, though, because it's mean, and she's the protagonist, damn it. (laughs) She's got a pretty sick mullet right here. (laughs) She sure does. She sure does. Folks, the mullet is coming back, and uh, if you're looking (laughs) for one, go for the Jamie Lee. They'll they'll know what you mean. (laughs) But the bros encourage him up there. I really like the look of this, like walk up the stairs and everything. There's the flashing lights. It really keeps you off balance, kind of puts you in his shoes really well. That nervousness and fear that he's feeling. I think that they do a great job. The production design throughout the whole way, I really enjoy, but it's it's very visible here in this opening sequence. That house would be a nightmare for me. It looks like the quintessential frat house. It's <laughs> awful. <laughs> But also great on screen. Right. Yeah. But not for me to live in. (laughs) Yeah. You squeeze 20 dudes into that house. It probably (laughs) stinks like shit. (laughs) But Alana hides in the bathroom. Elena, excuse me. I already got it wrong. Elena hides in the bathroom. And uh, though she doesn't know the extent of the prank, she does encourage him as well saying, oh, kiss me. It's my first time too. And when he goes in for the prank, he discovers it's actually a freaking corpse. The worst thing you could try and kiss. The worst. Maybe the last thing you'd expect to be smooching. And the reason that they got this corpse is because one of the brothers, nicknamed Doc, has access to the morgue because he's pre-med. In fact, I think that they're all pre-med. What an asshole nickname. You're, you're surrounded by other future doctors. Like, <laughs> come on, man. 
<laughs> he even like got a jersey with it on. He really <laughs> laid claim to it early on. The corpse is played by Nadia Rona, who had to sit in makeup for five hours to get ready for this. Now, there was some conflicting reports about the way that this was shot. Derek, who plays Kenny, claims that it was a five camera setup and that they did it in just one go. <laughs> Whereas Nadia said it took several hours to film because they had to keep resetting because of Derek's lack of coordination. <laughs> <laughs> So draw your own conclusions as to the truth. <laughs> but whatever the case may be, Kenny gets all wrapped up in the drapes of the bed and he loses his mind from the trauma of the prank winding back in the psychiatric hospital. The Very dramatic mummification. He goes there. <laughs> it sure is. And, uh, you know, the titular terror train rolls over the opening credits. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts. Just I know you kind of alluded to enjoying it as a setup, but. What do you think about this cold open that takes a little bit of time to set up the characters before we get the credits or anything, which is usually the tone setter right at the beginning? I love that, especially, I mean, it's a pretty striking opening. You get get a couple of laughs at the beginning, kind of get an idea of who these people are. In any movie, I love a delayed credit mm -hmm. to where you're just kind of waiting for it to pop up. <laughs> and as Kenny is spinning on the bed, that slow-mo audio sound is just like so disturbing mm -hmm. and the way it cuts into the train rolling in i just love and especially just the train itself rolling in i think looks so cool yeah it's really great they utilize the train in a couple different sequences in particular in between the kills you know that i think that it's kind of like uh they're it really reinforces how trapped they are that after every kill that we see the, the train just keeps on rolling into the night some might even call the train the fifth character <laughs> <laughs> i myself am very excited for biden's infrastructure plan so that i too may have a terror train in the future oh everybody gets a terror train in biden's america <laughs> Three years later, a bus rolls up with the same group of kids. They're all dressed up in costumes going on a freaking train party. And I got to say, you know, you joked about getting your own terror train, but this party sounds fucking awesome to me. Oh, dude, I couldn't give a rip about New Year's Eve. But if you told me you were having a party on a train for it. Hell yeah. Oh, I'm Costume there. party on a train. That's That'd be so cool. awesome. Also, I realized it does not really establish that they are freshman i guess at the beginning of the movie you just kind of it already feels like they're upperclassmen yeah and then it turns out they weren't i mean <laughs> it's just kind of a weird time jump yeah i guess uh that makes doc even more of an asshole than he's doing this <laughs> shit as a freshman but yeah i mean i think that the, like the closest thing around here are like river boats and stuff that you can have parties on or like the new york harbor but man it's fucking cool i'm into this idea public transit all day baby let's have parties on it too Let's list these costumes because they're pretty fucking great. So we got Ed the Goof dressed as Groucho, of course, which, oh, wait, I forgot to put these on. I meant to uh, start <laughs> off with this. <laughs> I ordered some Groucho glasses the other day. They, um, it turns out, are a piece of shit. But <laughs> I can at least uh, get that going. So there you go, Patreon people. You can check that out. So we got Groucho. He uh, freaking sets himself up perfectly right away. Comes out saying, anybody has seen my girlfriend? She's the one with the big caboose. <laughs> like, I like this guy. I'm on board. That dude would totally have a podcast nowadays. He is just rattling <laughs> off like a joke every five seconds. Oh, he was killing it. He was absolutely killing it. We also see Doc again. He was point man on the prank. He's a monk and his girlfriend, Mitchie, is a witch. Now, she's also Elena's best friend. Elena's boyfriend that she got in the interim three years has a bird mask on. His name is Mo. And finally, Jackson is an alien lizard. Not in costume are the train conductor named Carney and the magician they got uh, less into this idea for a party. But OK, played by, like I said, freaking David Copperfield. Let's not look over Ben Johnson because he is awesome oh right he was carney yes i apologize to ben johnson he's kind of the loomis of this movie absolutely and it's interesting that he has that calming presence but also like he's having a nice time too he walks around doing card tricks and stuff <laughs> yeah he's having a good time there's no radio on the train though 
So they're like, look, if anything happens, I guess we're fucked. But (laughs) (laughs) that's the terror train, baby. (laughs) No rules. (laughs) But they all start to board and Ed walks out stabbed with a sword. Everyone assumes he's joking and continues on their merry way. But the killer takes his costume and his place on the train, which immediately crunches right over poor Ed as it rolls on into the night and starts the ride of terror. I just love that nobody notices. It's just the loud train rolling over it and the crunch. And yeah, it, yeah I mean, you're on board the terror train, baby. That's right. No brakes on the terror train either, <laughs> along with no radio. <laughs> Not much on the terror train, actually. <laughs> it's pretty bare bones. There is a bar, oh. though. That's true. They got a bar. They have a full stage area. So (laughs) weird choices on the decor. But, you know, it is what it is. David Copperfield in one of one of my favorite scenes in this whole movie is just like, I fucking hate these college losers. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) And it it sets up as like, what is up with this magician that just hates college people so much? Yeah, it's, it's true. But also at the same time, I was like, man. If I was a fucking magician and I was like, I got to go out there in front of all these drunk assholes who are not really there to watch me. Oh, man, that sounds like hell. So (laughs) I get it, David. I get it. I should also note that he is just credited as the magician, although he is occasionally called Ken. So that adds another layer of confusion. (laughs) Doc and Elena butt heads over the prank from three years ago. They're still very much not copacetic over this thing. And he's telling a younger frat member about it like a fun thing. And uh, she's still very bitter about her involvement, which he throws in her face. The side characters continue to be fascinating as the coal shoveler and the conductor have continued arguments about the future of trains versus the RV business. Oh, I, I love this scene where Ben Johnson has like already moved on from seemingly both trains and RVs <laughs> and the other guys convinced that trains are the future. It's just fun to watch that. It sure is. And Ben Johnson, he's really doing a great job with his role. Now it looks like the killer who we've seen eavesdropping all the while is about to kill Mitchie, but he's interrupted by a drunk Jackson who invites Ed, and I'm doing big finger quotes here, uh, to have a drink of the good stuff with him. And he pays for it with his life. I love this kill. I think it looks absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah. And it's cool how close quarters it is. I mean, they talk about it, how difficult it was to film on a train. Right. And I mean, it looks good. Yeah, I I was reading specifically about this scene, and they said that they somehow packed 17 people into a train bathroom. Derek McKinnon had to literally stand on the cameraman's chest, and it proved to be a difficult shot to get, to, to put it mildly, not only because of the cramped conditions, but also one of these accidents that I mentioned, someone forgot to put in a breakaway mirror, so they couldn't get it to smash. And finally, they right. Fucking that's got to hurt like crazy. (laughs) They finally switched out the actor instead of the mirror and (laughs) and uh, obviously hitting it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, they put a stuntman in there. He even had like a little point in the mask to help break it. Still wound up getting both of his eyes and forehead bruised. But damn it, that mirror got smashed. Good grief. The Groucho mask in these scenes is just so grotesque and disturbing looking. I don't think the people behind this movie saw a Marx Brothers movie because <laughs> it, it's so scary. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's a it's the one that's on the cover on the poster. And I think that it was a really good choice because it is very unsettling to look at. It looks like the most evil Groucho possible. And it, I mean, that kind of goes the same for all the costumes. They're all they all kind of have a weirdness to them. There's an Einstein that also looks evil. (laughs) (laughs) The lizard is like kind of cheap, but also cool looking. And I just love it. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. The costume work is a lot of fun. And also, there's a gimp mask guy. Did you see that? I did not see that. He's kind of prominently featured a few times to where it's like, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) I'd never noticed that before. Well, I definitely didn't notice that. 
I was too busy being distracted by the bedazzled Uncle Sam. <laughs> David Copperfield does a handful of close-up magic tricks as they pass him. So funny. I just love that randomly several times through the movie. They just cut to David Copperfield. And they're like, okay, do a trick. Do an illusion, David Copperfield. And he's like, okay, here we go. Here's sometimes, a sometimes to disco music. <laughs> well, how else are you going to do it? <laughs> They then, after seeing David Copperfield pull off this magic trick perfectly, they cut to Carney trying to do a card trick as well with his uncooperative break man. I just love the like the weird shit in this movie. Like the fact that they spend the time to be like, yeah, Carney likes card tricks too. And he's going <laughs> to try and pull some off too. And people are like, what are you doing, Carney? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like the scene with Doc and Mitchie. Because it seems like they do kind of appreciate like a funny old man doing a joke trick and it's kind of sweet and endearing. Yeah, especially since Doc is so anti-magic through the whole thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and in, in any other movie, he could have like completely blown him off. And he kind of does, but in like a way that also seems nice. Yeah. And, and you know what? Carney has stuff he should be doing. So. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the right move to blow him off. This terror train's missing enough amenities. It needs <laughs> it needs full attention. <laughs> Mo tells Elena he's sorry in case you weren't sure <laughs> that this was shot in Canada. <laughs> I have in my notes that talking like a toucan is a red flag. <laughs> sure is. Sure is. People are starting to notice the missing boys. They're also trying to get into the bathroom that the corpse is in. As David continues to knock out just more magic tricks on the stage, he's just still doing his thing. They spend plenty of time with him. It's also very funny to see him perform in a cramped environment and it does not really do the tricks any favors. It <laughs> yeah. just kind of it just looks a little funny, but I enjoy it all the same. It's yeah. So much fun. Absolutely, especially in the later one where he does this big dramatic like vanishing and reappearing thing and the camera just has to like slowly pan over because there's no room <laughs> to set it up another one. It's really fun stuff. But this is where Doc says that he hates magic and Mo says it's just because he can't figure it out. So Doc overcompensates and he tries to pick up some women with Mo while their girlfriends are dancing in the other car. They try to take them into the bathroom, which is still locked. So Carney gets involved and he finds the bloody Jackson and handles it very coolly. Yeah. And maybe not professionally enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like I wouldn't just assume it was a prank as you <laughs> find out a few minutes later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, well, there was a lot of blood everywhere, but also Jackson dies too quick. I like him a lot. He, uh, he was fun to watch. He was fun. You know, the, the bad jokes of Ed, that'll wear on you pretty quick. So it's like, I'm glad that he, he gets it while I still like him. But uh, Jackson, he could have stuck around. He finds, though, that the quickest way to get this handled is to just press on Carney because going back, like backing the train up would be a much slower speed. So he's like, we got to just go through and wind up at the beginning again that way. When he heads back to show the brakeman, though, the killer has switched places with the corpse. And now bloodless, he can he pretends to just be drunk there. And like you said, Carney just assumes it was a practical joke. Now, Mitchie takes Jackson to his compartment so he can sleep it off. They start to get frisky, but he caresses her with Jackson's severed hand and <laughs> stifles her scream. Like I said, I love that it just cuts to the train after a death. They just keep getting deeper and deeper. There's no out for these for these students. Oh, yeah. I, I can't remember if this is the cut where it, I, I don't think it is actually where it goes straight into the train whistle. It may do it a few times. So. Actually. Yeah, they definitely show it rolling like every time they cut to it, like the train and just like have it driving. But there are a few where it's punctuated by the whistle that really it's like the, the <laughs> cannons and uh, the Hunger Games are like another one's down. The train whistle marks it. They really use the train, and I love that because I've always liked trains. Hell yeah, I love trains. They're fucking great. I am always extremely paranoid about missing my stop, though, and the train's always I, like, man, that rocking just puts me right to sleep. And so I'm <laughs> like, no, I can't sleep. I got to stay up in case I miss my stop. So it's a real uh, catch-22 for me, but I do love them. 
Now, Copperfield does another illusion for Elena, but Doc arrives looking for Mitchie and he tells Elena to go talk with Mo, despite having left Mo there with another woman clad only in trousers. Mo, you know, doesn't make the best choices, we'll say, but he is at the very least trying to maintain a little bit of respectability here. And Doc is really undercutting him uh, at every possible situation. This viewing was a little more apparent. The other podcasts we are fans of that I'm not going to mention here because they don't need the advertising. And until (laughs) they come on this podcast, cough, cough, snorly and bust. (laughs) I think they alluded to this uh, when they covered this uh, recently, that there's like kind of a gay undertones between the two. And I, I hadn't really noticed that before. And on this viewing, I definitely agree. I mean, I, I don't think Doc is that big of an asshole to just do it for fun. I don't know why else he would send Elena to that compartment. And he also says, like, you'll always have me or something. Right. He says, uh, well, if she dumps you, you've always got me, you know. And then he very seriously says, I mean it. (laughs) It's like He's very serious. Yeah, I definitely agree because right after this, David Copperfield does another couple illusions. But when Doc finds Mo stabbed to death next to him, he's ignored slash everyone thinks that he's pranking again. Classic boy who cried wolf situation. But this reaction is very interesting. And I think does play into some queer subtext in the movie between Kenny, who is a guy who cross dresses in the movie, being played by a drag queen who is gay in real life. You have Jamie Lee Curtis's tomboyish good looks, something that she has always been very well known for. And most important, textually, the overcompensatory masculinity being presented by Doc, whose last name is Manly, by the way. I did not know that. Yeah. And the way he not only reacts to Mo's death, but up to that point has done everything in his power to sabotage that relationship. Such an extreme response. Right. He really likes Mo. He sure does. And also when Mitchie is trying to seduce Jackson, she does mention something about having an arrangement with Doc. Leads me to think maybe uh, she understands that uh, he's not really interested, but just trying to protect an image that he has. So there you go. Something to chew on out there, folks. Elena tells Doc that Mitchie is dead, too, when he stumbles across her and Carney. And to add even more evidence to that, he reacts a lot less strongly to Mitchie's death than he does to Moe's. Carney heads to the front when his pulling on the emergency brake does nothing to slow the train. So he thinks that something has happened to Charlie and everyone goes flying when he slams on the brakes himself. (laughs) And then Charlie shows up and he's like, Hey, what's the deal? (laughs) I I was like, just because the guy grabbed it doesn't mean you have to stop it now too. The staff is checking the train while the kids are quarantined outside and everyone has to take off their masks. Two porters find another corpse and outside People are suspicious of Doc and this possibly being another prank. I do like that this is something that has also presented it as a possible red herring, that Doc is this known prankster. And it's an interesting element for him to be one of the people who has been affected by it and to be so desperate to prove that it's not a prank, but everyone just assumes that it would be. The irony that they have to take off their masks in quarantine. Wow. So true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, also i I love the guy that comes up to doc and like threatens him about it being one of his just another one of his pranks right i love that he's got this reputation that probably nobody really likes him yeah it's all it's all the people who like him in order to not get pranked themselves (laughs) elena says that it must have been kenny getting revenge he had killed someone before maybe by accident but it happened and he might do it again. So they wouldn't even let her visit him in the hospital when she tried. Doc pulls her inside the train and into a room where he promptly kicks the doorknob off since it won't lock, which is terrifying. (laughs) Doc is really uh, going for it. We'll say, and he himself is a very threatening figure in these later moments. He gets unhinged in this part of the movie. And I, I love it. It, um, I think it really 
showcases that Hart Bogner's a really good actor, despite this little small Canadian Halloween ripoff. Right. <laughs> he accuses the magician of being Kenny, looking at a yearbook, since Kenny was into magic back in the day, too. And uh, <laughs> it's so funny to me to be like, the difference between someone who was into magic in college and David Copperfield <laughs> like while he was in a psychiatric hospital, that must've been some really intense practice. Who among us was not into magic in college? Uh, sure, everybody man. did. A, everybody did a little <laughs> magic. Okay. Austin. Sure. We did. <laughs> <laughs> Elena is like, great. We got to go warn everybody that it's the magician. But Doc says, fuck that. I'm not moving. Every man for himself, which again, abhorrent as always from Doc. Real misanthropic <laughs> attitude. <laughs> it really is. Although he may well have lost the love of his life in Mo and the love of his fake life in Mitchie. <laughs> so, but Elena is, uh, she leaves the room and she immediately sees a dark figure with an axe. And so she starts pounding on the door, but Doc won't let her back in. Man, Doc, really going for, for most hateable. I think this is where the shot is down the hallway of the train and it's just a pink light. Yeah. And it looks really cool. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's really good. And thankfully, it's Charlie and he escorts her back outside. But Doc doesn't realize that the killer is in the room with him. And when he finally does think that he understands what's happening and he like looks around and you don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but you can feel the tension rising as he looks around this room. Oh man. It's just so fantastic. Yeah. This scene is what you want from a slasher movie that maybe 10% of them actually have. <laughs> yeah. It's got that great suspense where he's looking everywhere and the one place he doesn't look is where Kenny is so true. And he of course thinks it's Mitchie and that this was in fact, actually all a joke because he looks down and sees the ring that he stole from Mitchie when he killed her, get a little vibra slap action happening in the friggin' score there. There's also some very nice foreshadowing when you see what costume is on the floor and couch of the compartment. I didn't notice that. Oh yeah. You see the uh, assistant's gear, like the, the outfit that she, the assistant, which we don't know at the time is in fact, Kenny spoiler alert for a couple minutes from now. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's like the sequin dress and stuff is like on the ground in the background there. So uh, just some cool foreshadowing that says, Hey, you know, you know that they've been changing costumes. Maybe you should be checking over there too. Derek, who plays Kenny and Hart, who plays Doc, did not get along since Hart was method acting and Doc is a huge asshole. So that means that Hart was being a huge asshole. <laughs> you know, that that's just really surprising to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, me too. Absolutely. This is my very surprised voice. And, <laughs> and Derek said that he had a really fun time with this kill because they were not the best of friends. <laughs> so that this is the kill, I think, where his scream goes straight into the train whistle and it is just... Ooh, it's good. Elena goes to tell Carney it's the magician, and she takes him to go see the photo that Doc had, but they find his decapitated body there instead. This is another really great moment for me. I love how the head drops so much later from the luggage area. Really great work to have it be so that satisfaction of the delay. I just love it. Oh, yeah. I love that head prop, too. It looks it's in that realm of just fake enough and just <laughs> real enough to where it kind of works and it doesn't linger on it. Yeah. And it kind of grosses you out. It, it's just fun to watch. Absolutely. It is. Carney goes and escorts the magician's assistant out of the parlor car and locks it after being told that the magician is still behind the stage. The angry crowd demands to be let in so that they can go kill him. Murder on the Orient Express style. <laughs> Some very bloodthirsty college kids. But Carne placates them and says, okay, I'll go back in and I'll get him. Meanwhile, on the other side of the train, Elena is being given a room to sleep in since she's been through so much tonight. Unfortunately, the killer quickly dispatches the porter who was guarding her and sneaks into the room. Big rip to this porter. 
doesn't get a lot of screen time, but seems like a very nice guy. It's just the dumbest decision to let her be alone. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think any of these people have seen a horror movie. <laughs> With the killer lunging at the figure in the bed, it's revealed to actually be one of the sex dolls that got brought on from this party. And Alana... Or excuse me. No, that was right. Elena <laughs> stabs them <laughs> through the back with the sword. She was hiding behind the door. Classic. Again, this feels kind of like the uh, the Halloween stuff where, where she's trying to get one up on Michael as he's going through the house. He gets up, though, and chases her down the corridors. This is another shot that just looks absolutely spectacular, where the bloody arm is just like hanging down as he comes through the door. It's just such a great way to make the killer look really, really threatening from a distance. Uh, it does a great job. That costume he's wearing is also very disturbing. I think it, is it the monk? Yeah, this is when uh, he's outfit, wearing, and then the the hag mask, right? I think or whatever that is. He's wearing Doc's Doc's costume. He's now changed into, and it, it looks it looks really great. Elena gets choked down to the ground and she bites his hand to give herself some time and sprays some chemicals out from the fire extinguisher at the killer to blind them. Derek said that this was a real knockdown drag out fight where they were really like going for it. Uh, apparently, she actually kicked him in the balls because he ripped her blouse. So <laughs> good for you, Jamie Lee. Absolutely. Yeah. He, and, and he was it was they, they went back and forth on this. She then locks herself in some kind of cage room. This also looks really amazing as they're struggling in here, like stabbing through the walls. They're both soaked in blood and sweat. This is another moment that almost was, or it was a serious accident. It was almost even more serious because she stabs him with the like receipt pick, but oh, he keeps brutal. coming. It is very brutal. The stunt guy, again, it almost, it forgot to get switched out. And so the stunt guy almost lost his eye. Apparently, Jamie Lee Curtis walked off set for two days because she was so pissed about that. And like a second fuck up happening in that way. And Derek was like, oh, I can do it. I can do it. Like, just let me do it. And they were like, no, we just need you for the close ups. We'll let the stunt person do the actual stabbing and uh, almost almost took him right out. So gotta be careful on set, folks. She doesn't see. Oh, she throws him from the train between the compartments after he's weakened by this, but she doesn't see him grab onto the train on his way down. And this moment where it's revealed by way of him, like crawling alongside the window outside, I was just like, Oh, it doesn't get better than that. <laughs> like that was scary as fuck. <laughs> Elena is still scared, but several people pressure her into coming back to the group as they approach the station. And she stops in the magician's quarters and she looks for confirmation that it was Kenny, but discovers the magician himself dead in the sword box. This is, this was really great. Now, this was my first time seeing the movie. I know you have seen it many, many times. I'm curious if you remember that false thread working for you at all. I was like, oh, okay. It makes sense that he was the magician, I guess, by the rules of this. And so I assumed that that was actually the case. When we see David Copperfield stabbed in this box, it genuinely was a surprise to me. Now I, I'm very familiar with it and don't forget between viewings what actually happens. But I remember the first maybe couple times I saw it, it's just confusing enough to where it tricks you into thinking the movie's over or not the outcome you expect. And then I, I love that reveal where the door just kind of slowly opens and you see him already in there stabbed multiple times. Yeah. yeah and, and I think that what really helps it is that the characters are so sure they like all convince each other that they're right. And so we're like, well, I have no reason to doubt them. <laughs> of course they're right. It's the magician. And uh, the fact that everybody was wrong, I think is a, a really smart and bold move to, to, to pull forward. Now, she runs back to get Charlie and tell him about the magician. But when Charlie grabs her wrists, she realizes that it is, in fact, actually Kenny, not Charlie. And that Kenny had been in disguise in drag as the magician's assistant the whole time. This sequence of pulling off the makeup and the wig looks so good. And he looks super evil here with the like smear of blood on his face. 
and the grim gleam in his eye. What an amazing reveal and coming out party for the character of Kenny. Oh yeah, I, I like that a lot. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of kind of reminds me of Master of Disguise. <laughs> okay. Oh, he kind of okay. like shakes between characters and stuff. Yeah. But this is like the good version of that. Right. <laughs> uh sorry, you mean Master of Disguise, not the second best horror movie ever made. <laughs> but it, it, it's really great. She's clearly freaked out. She tells him that she's sorry, but he says that she hasn't changed. He tells her to kiss him in a callback to the prank. Now, this was not in the script, but Jamie Lee Curtis came up with this. So she said that she thought it would add power to the scene. She was always looking for stuff like that since so much of the focus was on the action and the killer. Unfortunately, all the kiss does is send him even further into his madness, spinning around like he's in the drapes again. Before Carne comes rushing in with the shovel, knocking Charlie, Charlie in quotes, Kenny off the damn train, smacking the ice into a freezing river. And once again, the train keeps rolling on. We cannot forget to mention that that thud, the two thuds <laughs> that Ben Johnson applies to Kenny's skull. Holy cow. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like, I mean, it just sounds so great. <laughs> yeah. I think that he was probably dead before he hit that ice. <laughs> <laughs> and then th- this is another thing I love in movies is when a dummy gets dropped in lieu of an actual person, I guess you would say. Right. And it, I love this one actually looks like pretty decent. Sometimes they like, they like the arms splay out in a weird <laughs> yeah. way. <laughs> I kind of like it the worse it is, but <laughs> this one is like a good mix of like good and comical looking yeah. and just the way it thuds, uh, Kenny thuds into the bank of the ice. It's like, you're looking at that little pond and he misses it completely. Oh man. <laughs> it's so funny. They're like, you can't even let him have a little bit of dignity on his way out. No, he hits that ice first and then flops right into the frozen river. <laughs> It's great. It's really great. I, I think that it's a fun ending. I like that Carne gets to come in and, and help help save the day. This is a movie that really, as the movie continues, your enjoyment just increases and increases and increases because it goes for, look, for a train movie, it goes further and further off the rails as the movie <laughs> continues. I think it is very much to the movie's benefit. So we've now reached the point, Austin, where we sum up why this is not just a good horror movie, but is in fact the best horror movie ever made. And uh, you're going to start things off for us, pal. Okay. I've got a lot here. So hit me with it. Hopefully this doesn't take too long. So uh, this movie, when I think of it, it kind of reminds me of like My Bloody Valentine, another kind of similar stature movie, maybe probably in higher standards than this, but another Canadian slasher more of a classic than this, I would I would admit. It's got kind of a similar setup with a prologue, all that cool stuff. Anyway, the setting is just, I mean, 10 out of 10, can't get any better. Train is super cool. I love that it is set on New Year's Eve, a holiday I don't care about, and it makes me care about the holiday. Hell yeah. Everybody's having fun on the train, drinking beer and liquor and coffee, just trying to stay warm and have a good <laughs> time, watch magic. Everybody's in costumes. Uh, it. It's just amazing. The characters themselves are, they're, they're just fun to be around. And I was on this show to talk about Friday too. I'm going to say it. I think they're just as good as that. Wow. And dare I say Halloween itself. I think they're layered enough to, you don't really want to see anybody die, even the asshole characters. <laughs> and I, like we talked about already, Doc is fun to watch. They're, they're just fun to be around. And, and honestly, Jamie Lee Curtis kind of hangs back for a lot of it. And maybe, I don't know, I guess she would have been huge at the time because of Halloween, but maybe not as big. People didn't love the fog, I think, at the time. And so, you know, that had just happened as well. It is interesting that she does hang back a little bit. I noticed that as well. Especially like in the middle where you're seeing other people die. Yeah. Yeah. Ben Johnson is such a cool 
character actor to watch in this and all the weird RV train arguments. <laughs> I just I just love the failing industry argument. <laughs> and Kenny, like I've said, I've said it a few times now. I, I love prologues and especially when they set up a mystery, a whodunit of who the killer is. And I, I think this one does a great job of that, mainly because it kind of confuses you. You know who it is, but at the same time, you don't. Mm. And I, I can admit some the makeup effects to some people probably know exactly who it is right off the bat. To me, I thought it worked, probably works better in lower quality definition, but I, I still think it works. And uh, the multiple masks, like how often do you usually in a horror movie, you're talking about the one mask. If that and it may be a good one, it may be a bad one. This one has a bunch of good ones. <laughs> And it's it's awesome. So the magic part of it, I don't know why I love magic in movies. I've screened this for our group of friends before, The Wizard of Gore, which I think is what kind of jump-started this love. I saw a kind of clip of it before I saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in theaters. And I was like, what is this movie <laughs> of this magician chainsawing his like <laughs> audience participants? And I think that's what started it. It had to have been. You were never the same. Yeah, never the same. And it, I'm sorry, but Montag the Mag- Magnificent and Wizard of Gore, he's the best movie magician. I, <laughs> I have to admit, David Copperfield is amazing in this, but he, he still can't compete with that. <laughs> Which I think to sum it all up, it's not Terror Train. It's Terrific Train. Wow. So true. You know, I'm inclined to agree, frankly. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because there's a lot going on with it. There is a really fun setting, like you said, and it's not just that they are using a train as the setting. It's that the train really feels like they're there. You know, there's a lot of running back and forth and having to navigate the different compartments of the train. It feels like it is an obstacle in their way to have this very confined space in a way that not every movie that deals with trains or even boats or whatever always manage to capture. And I think that this does really capture that isolation that the crew feels and how much that they have to just keep pressing forward. I think that the side characters in this are outrageously good. There is so much little bits of character to them And the flavor that they bring to this movie is just so fantastic. That sequence that you already pointed out again, where they're arguing about the dying industries is so funny. The fact that Carney is walking around just like, Hey, I can do card trick too. Check it out. Like, and then it's, it's like a a joke one. Like you said, they all have these little character things that make them more interesting than just the conductor or the friend, you know, they, they all have something going on. I think that Doc, like you said, is incredibly fun to watch. He's a great, great secondary antagonist. There's a lot going on in terms of his relationship with Mo and Mitchie and Elena. And I think that he really kind of serves as the linchpin for this movie because there are big gaps where the killer is kind of just operating in the background and Elena and slash Jamie Lee Curtis is just doing her thing elsewhere. And so if Doc and Mo are not interesting, then there's just huge stretches of this movie that suck. But because they managed to create such a great character and relationship between the two of them, those scenes are not boring. And it it really does do a great job of keeping you engaged in between the murder sequences, which are also fun. You know, they're, they're not all on screen, but they do a good job of letting your imagination fill in the blanks. The ones that we do see are a lot of fun. There's just a lot going on. The costumes are very fun. The fact that he is constantly switching and each time has to uh, shed his skin like a chameleon and and blend in all over again. There's just so much fun stuff happening. And, And the fact that this started out as an admitted take on Halloween and manages to really 
come into its own and create its own unique movie that it really is fantastic. And uh, I'm glad I got to see it because it's the best horror movie ever made. Austin, I want to thank you so much for coming on, man. This was an absolute blast. Where can the people find you? Well, thank you for having me. And I'm glad you enjoyed it. And it was a lot of fun talking about it. As far as finding me, if you're near Knoxville, Tennessee, come to Central Cinema. Hell yeah. We, let's see, the weekend of October 21st or 2nd is the Knoxville Horror Film Fest. And we'll be announcing details about that as of this week, probably the week before this comes out, I would think, or sometime before that. Yeah, I um, saw there's uh, some rumblings already coming out. I saw the new the new poster for thir- Fizzles 13, right? Correct. And the teaser poster that has been posted on, on the socials, I think Central Cinema Knox on Instagram, I believe. And shoot, what's the horror fest? Probably... Knox Horror Fest, maybe. I'm sure you'll find it if you look for that. Search it and you'll you'll probably figure it out. Yeah, I've seen the poster and it's awesome. Uh, I've seen what we're gonna, what we're planning to show, and it is also awesome. And it's gonna be a lot of fun. Very cool. Well, I'm hoping to get down there myself one day. So uh, maybe uh, maybe you'll also see George there, and not just Austin. That'll be a lot of fun. Hell yeah, awesome. So yeah, as far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at Little Horror PHL. You can find the Patreon, which is also a little horror PHL. It's got all kinds of bonus stuff, including episodes about things like Freaky Friday from 2003, also starring Jamie Lee Curtis in the other best horror movie ever made. (laughs) She's been on the show a few times now. We did Halloween 2 as well, so she's making the rounds. We've also done stuff like EC Comics we talked about, which was a really fun episode. Begotten, which is a fucking weird, weird movie. (laughs) Uh, that's a fun one too so yeah there's all kinds of great stuff over there you can check that out rate and review if you're enjoying the show and that's pretty much it thanks everyone bye